Good morning. This is Alan Carroll at Carroll Pharmacy in Smithfield, and we are proud to bring you Hope for Today, a program we hope might help you, inspire you, or encourage you and give you hope for today. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Before I get into what I really want to talk about this morning, I want to mention the anniversary of a very special event in the life of our country, which took place hundreds of years ago this week, on October the 12th, 1492, to be exact. I will now read the account of this very important event from the one-year Christian history book by Michael and Sharon Rustin, and this is the October 11th reading. In 1451, a boy named Cristoforo Colombo was born in Genoa. We know him as Christopher Columbus. Christopher means Christ's bearer, and he was undoubtedly named after St. Christopher, the patron saint of travelers. In those days, people took the meaning of their name seriously, and Columbus took his name as a sign that he was to bear the name of Christ across the seas to those who didn't know him. By the age of 20, Columbus had already experienced shipwreck off the coast of Portugal, After making it to shore, he joined his brother in Lisbon. By 1484, the two brothers were employed as map makers. Columbus became convinced that the shortcut to the Orient was west. He calculated that the distance from the Canary Islands to Japan was 2,760 miles. He had obviously figured wrong, but God knew there was something important to discover just 150 miles farther than where Columbus thought Japan would be. Columbus made a proposal to King John II of Portugal that he finance a westward expedition to the Orient, but was turned down. He then became convinced that God wanted King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella of Spain to be his sponsors. They finally agreed. Before dawn on August the 3rd, 1492, Columbus knelt on the dock to receive Holy Communion before rowing out to board the Santa Maria, where his crew waited. Two accompanying ships, the Pinta and the Nina, were captained by Martin and Vincent Penzon, two brothers who shared his vision. As his ship sailed westward toward the unknown, Columbus wrote in his journal Bible verses such as, Listen to me, all of you in far-off lands. The Lord called me before my birth. From within the womb he called me by name. I will make you a light to the Gentiles, and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. This was from like Isaiah 49, verses 1 and 6. On October the 9th, there was an emergency conference between Columbus and Martin and Vincent Penzan. The brothers warned Columbus that they feared a mutiny unless they immediately turned back to Spain. Columbus was able to bargain with them for three more days, agreeing that if they had not sighted land by October the 12th, he would turn back. The next day, the convoy sailed hard, covering the second most miles of any day on the trip thus far. That day, for the first time, Columbus was openly challenged by his crew. By October the 11th, 1492, the men were tense and the officers testy, but Columbus was confident that God would soon reveal the promised land. Then a shout went up from the Pinta that a reed and a small piece of wood that obviously had been shaped by a man, were seen in the water. Next, the Nina sighted a small twig with roses on it. The mood of the crew was transformed. 
With their eyes glued to the horizon, Columbus and a seaman briefly saw a light at 10 p.m. that disappeared within a few minutes. At 2 a.m. the next morning, just four hours before dawn on the third and final day before turning back, the lookout aboard the Pinta shouted, Land! Land! There in the moonlight they saw a low white cliff. Columbus was the first person to set foot on land. He named the island San Salvador, meaning Holy Savior. They all knelt in the sand with tears in their eyes as Columbus prayed, O Lord, Almighty and everlasting God, by thy holy word thou hast created the heaven and the earth and the sea. Blessed and glorified be thy name and praised be thy majesty, which hath deigned us deign to use us, thy humble servants, that thy holy name may be proclaimed in this second part of the earth. I do hope most Americans realize and appreciate the fact that the man given credit for discovering America was not only a Christian man, but a man whose very name meant Christ-bearer. The founding fathers of this country were men seeking religious freedom. As I reflect on those brave men and women and consider how far away we have drifted, a very familiar verse comes to my mind from the Old Testament, from Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will hear their land, heal their land. God is telling us what to do if we want to be heard in heaven and if we want our sins to be forgiven and our land healed. But are we listening? And now on to my main topic for today. As I was thinking about my program for today, I came to the realization that I had had the program on Noah and the Ark a few weeks too early. I will mention now that I do remember Hurricane Hazel, which occurred on October the 18th, 1954. I remember being at Selma Elementary School and sitting out in the hall to get away from the windows in the classroom while waiting to be picked up by my parents. I remember falling trees and downed power lines, and it was a very scary event for a six-year-old little girl. Several days ago, Hurricane Ian came calling, and although some of us may have been inconvenienced because of the rain and debris in our yards, it has really been nothing compared to those who have lost their homes or businesses due to the storm or those who are planning a funeral for a loved one who died as a result of the storm. Some of the people who died had been told to evacuate but chose to stay where they were, and that was a very costly decision as the death count has continued to rise each day over the last several days. Prior to an expected hurricane, those who have not been advised to evacuate are always strongly advised to stay home and not to go out even after the storm has passed, to avoid the roads covered by water, and definitely not to go out at night when you can't even see where the water is. As the death toll has continued to rise each day, I started thinking about the fact that most of these people did not listen to the good advice to evacuate or to stay home and stay safe. Well, maybe they were listening, but they didn't pay attention to the advice. I do hope you and your family will always pay close attention to good advice. This got me to thinking about the Bible and what it is telling us over and over again. But are we paying attention to what we read or to what we hear? 
In the Bible, the flood God sent in Noah's day was a result of the evil that had permeated the earth. The flood was God's judgment on the earth. Noah and his family were the only ones saved because God had noticed that Noah was the only righteous person on earth. So in obedience to the Lord, Noah built an ark on dry land and then along with his family went into the ark when God told him to. He listened, he obeyed, and all his family was saved. The Lord told Noah that never again would he destroy the earth with a flood. The rainbow is the sign that God keeps his promise. Thank the Lord we don't have hurricanes all the time and the deaths that have come in the aftermath of Hurricane Ian. But whether it is from drowning, disease, heart attacks, plane crashes, strokes, car wrecks, death is a sure thing. You can count on it. 100% of people will die. You and I will not escape it. So you may worry about how you will die and when you will die and where you will die. And you're certainly free to worry about all those things if you want to. But I personally believe the most important question you need to ask yourself is, am I prepared to die? Now, some people I know have already made their funeral arrangements, and they are still in their 50s and 60s. But then I know people in their 70s and 80s, like myself, who have not made any funeral arrangements and are not much interested in doing so. I personally have not made any funeral plans, although I am interested, and I probably should do that, but I'm just trying to figure out what I need to be doing each day. Remember that verse from the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says in Matthew 6:34, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Well, now isn't that an understatement? Just this week, I heard of three very sad situations involving young adults. One case was a man I met whose son in his late 20s recently killed someone while under the influence of meth. That poor father is beside himself over this heartbreaking situation. The sad fact is that there are so many people and they are committing terrible crimes while under the influence of some form of drug. It really is an epidemic and you would have trouble finding anyone who doesn't know someone who is having some sort of drug or alcohol-related problem. But now back to my main topic for today. I'm sorry I have strayed so far from our all-important question, am I prepared to die? After your physical death that you know is coming, what then? Where are you going? Have you made plans for that? Now, I have done that, and I am planning to go to heaven, and I hope you have made your plans and that we will see each other there. I remember a woman at a Bible study years ago who said she had heard a preacher say one time, you better hope when it comes your time to die that all you have to do is die. And now to interpret that for you, that means that you will have already acknowledged that God is on his throne and that his son Jesus Christ came to earth and died to save us from our sins. You must not just be familiar with the words of John 3.16, but you must believe them. In John 3:16, Jesus Christ says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, if you've never heard this verse, I hope you will make your way to a bookstore as soon as possible and buy a Bible, or if you have a computer or cell phone, that you will download a free Bible app. The Bible is actually two books. 
The first book is known as the Old Testament. It is the history of a nation that gave birth to a man called Jesus. The second book, called the New Testament, is about this man's life and its meaning, and of course, that man is Jesus Christ. I have studied the book of John three times in Bible Study Fellowship. The book of John is in the New Testament. John was one of the twelve disciples of Jesus. The life of Jesus was so important that God had four people recorded, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and those books are known as the four Gospels. Gospel means good news, and the good news is that Jesus came and died on the cross to save us from our sins, and God raised him from the dead. I heard a few weeks ago in a sermon that the preacher said he went to a Bible conference years before, and the only thing he took away from it was that the word news represents north, south, east, and west, and the good news of Jesus Christ is for everyone, everywhere. I want to read you a couple of verses near the end of John's gospel. First from John 20, verses 30 and 31. Jesus' disciples saw him do many other miracles besides the one told about in this book. But these are recorded so that you will believe that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing in him, you will have life. And then from the last couple of verses in John chapter 21, I am that disciple I saw these events and have recorded them here. And we all know that my account of these things is accurate. And I suppose that if all the other events in Jesus' life were written, the whole world could hardly contain the books. In the Life Application Bible, it states that the purpose of John writing his gospel was to prove conclusively that Jesus is the Son of God and that all who believe in him will have eternal life. I will also like to read to you from another book John wrote that is near the end of the New Testament. It is actually a letter he wrote. I'm reading now from 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. And what is it that God has said? That he has given us eternal life and that this life is in his Son. So whoever has God's Son has life. Whoever does not have his Son does not have life. I have written this to you who believe in the Son of God, so that you may know you have eternal life. Now, you may not be on your deathbed yet, or maybe you are, but whatever your situation is today, I do not want you to perish. In other words, I do not want you to go to hell. I hope you are prepared to meet God. Please call upon his name and let him know you do believe in his Son, Jesus Christ, that died for you and me. I want to read you a passage from Randy Alcorn's book, 90 Days of God's Goodness. Our lives here lead directly into heaven or directly into hell, affording a choice between the two. The best of life on earth is a glimpse of heaven. The worst of life on earth is a glimpse of hell. For Christians, this present life is the closest they will ever come to hell. For unbelievers, it is the closest they will come to heaven. In the notes for that last verse in the Gospel of John, it says, When evidence is presented in the courtroom, those who hear it must make a choice. Those who read the Gospel of John must also make a choice. Is Jesus the Son of God or isn't he? You are the jury. The evidence has been clearly presented. You must decide. Read John's Gospel and believe. 
In closing, I would like to read you the story of how Fanny Crosby came to write the hymn, Rescue the Perishing. It is from Volume 1 of Robert J. Morgan's Then Sings My Soul hymn storybook. While visiting her friend, Howard Doan, in Cincinnati, Fanny Crosby, the blind hymnist, was asked to speak to a group of blue-collar workers. Near the end of her address, she had an overwhelming sense that some mother's boy before her must be rescued that night or not at all. She mentioned this to the crowd, pleading, If there is a dear boy here tonight who has perchance wandered away from his mother's home and his mother's teaching, would he please come to me at the close of the service? Afterward, a young man of about 18 approached her. Did you mean me? he asked. I promised my mother to meet her in heaven, but the way I have been living, I don't think that will be possible now. Fanny had the joy of leading him to Christ. Returning to her room that night, all she could think about was the theme, Rescue the Perishing. And when she retired that night, she had written the complete hymn. The next day, Howard Doan wrote the music, and it was published the following year in his Songs of Devotion. Many years later, Fanny was speaking at the YMCA in Lynn, Massachusetts, and she recounted the story behind Rescue the Perishing. After the service, a man approached her, his voice quivering. Miss Crosby, he said, I was that boy who told you more than 35 years ago that I had wandered from my mother's God. That evening you spoke, I sought and found peace, and I have tried to live a consistent Christian life ever since. If we never meet again on earth, we will meet up yonder. He turned and left, unable to say another word. But Fanny later described it as one of the most gratifying experiences of her life. This song served as a prelude to Fanny Crosby's second career. About age 60, she began working in downtown rescue missions, spending several days a week in lower Manhattan, witnessing to the down and out. Despite her fame as a hymn writer, she chose to live in near poverty in New York's ghettos, for she felt a calling to minister to the needy. Just a few blocks from her little tenement apartment was the Bowery, a haunt for alcoholics and where every kind of vice flourished. There, Fanny would go day after day to rescue the perishing. And hear the words of Rescue the Perishing. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. Weep o'er the erring one. Lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. Though they are slighting him, still he is waiting, waiting the penitent child to receive. Plead with them earnestly, plead with them gently. He will forgive if they only believe. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. Down in the human heart, crushed by the tempter, Feelings lie buried that grace can restore. Touched by a loving heart, wakened by kindness, cords that are broken will vibrate once more. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. Rescue the perishing, duty demands it. 
Strength for their labor, the Lord will provide. Back to the narrow way, patiently win them. Tell the poor wanderer, a Savior has died. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Jesus is merciful, Jesus will save. And I want to leave you with this verse from the Apostle Paul found in Romans 10, 13. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Thank you for listening. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin and the
been listening to Hope for Today, brought to you each Sunday morning by Carroll Pharmacy. We hope the message today has helped and encouraged you. If we can ever help you with your prescriptions, over-the-counter medications, or vaccines, we hope you will come in to our family-owned and operated independent pharmacy, where outstanding customer service is our goal. 